It rippled thickly in the bowl, dark and hot and uninviting. Miguel Lienzo picked it up and pulled it so close he almost dipped his nose into the tarry liquid. Holding the vessel still for an instant, he breathed in, pulling the scent deep into his lungs. The sharp odor of earth and rank leaves surprised him. It was like something an apothecary might keep in a chipped porcelain jar. What is this? Miguel asked, working through his irritation by pushing at the cuticle of one thumb with the nail of the other. She knew he had no time to waste, so why had she brought him here for this nonsense? One bitter remark after another bubbled up inside him, but Miguel let loose with none of them. It wasn't that he was afraid of her, but he often found himself going to great lengths to avoid her displeasure. He looked over and saw that Gertrude met his silent cuticle mutilation with a grin. He knew that irresistible smile and what it meant. She was mightily pleased with herself, and when she looked that way, it was hard for Miguel not to be mightily pleased with her too. It's something extraordinary, she told him, gesturing toward his bowl. Drink it. Drink it? Miguel squinted into the blackness. It looks like the devil's piss, which would certainly be extraordinary, but I've no desire to know what it tastes like. Gertrude leaned toward him, almost brushing up against his arm. Take a ship, and then I'll tell you everything. This devil's piss is going to make both our fortunes. It had begun not an hour earlier when Miguel felt someone take hold of his arm. In the instant before he turned his head, he ticked off the unpleasant possibilities, rival or creditor, an abandoned lover or her angry relative, the Danish fellow to whom he'd sold those Baltic grain futures with too enthusiastic a recommendation. Not so long ago the approach of a stranger had held promise. Merchants and schemers and women had all sought Miguel's company asking his advice, craving his companionship, bargaining for his gilders. Now he wished only to learn in what new shape disaster would unfold itself. He never thought to stop walking. He was part of the procession that formed each day when the bells of the new Kerik struck two, signalling the end of trading on the exchange. Hundreds of brokers poured out onto the dam, the great plaza at Amsterdam's centre. They spread out along the alleys and roads and canal sides, along the Varmustrat, the fastest route to the most popular taverns. Shopkeepers stepped outside, donning wide-brimmed leather hats to guard against damp that rolled in from the Zaudersee. They set out sacks of spices, rolls of linen, barrels of tobacco. Tailors and shoemakers and milliners waved men inside. Sellers of books and pens and exotic trinkets cried out their wares. The Varmustrat became a current of black hats and black suits, speckled only with the white of collars, sleeves, and stockings, or the flash of silver shoe buckles. Traders pushed past goods from the Orient or the New World, from places of which no one had heard a hundred years before. Excited like schoolboys set free of the classroom, the traders talked of their business in a dozen different languages. They laughed and shouted and pointed. They grabbed at anything young and female that crossed their path. They took out their purses and devoured the shopkeeper's goods, leaving only coins in their wake. Miguel Lienzo neither laughed nor admired the commodities set out before him, nor clutched at the soft parts of willing shopgirls. He walked silently, head down against the light rain. 
Today was, on the Christian calendar, the 13th day of May, 1659. Accounts on the exchange closed each month on the 20th. Let a man make what maneuvers he liked. None of it mattered until the 20th, when the credits and debits of the month were tallied, and money at last changed hands. Today things had gone badly with a matter of brandy futures, and Miguel now had less than a week to pluck his fat from the fire, or he would find himself another thousand guilders in debt. Another thousand. He already owed three thousand. Once he had made double that in a year, but six months ago the sugar market collapsed, taking Miguel's fortune with it. And then, well, one mistake after another. He wanted to be like the Dutch, who regarded bankruptcy as no shame. He tried to tell himself it did not matter. It was only a little while longer until he undid the damage. But believing that tale required an increasing effort. How long, he wondered, until his wide and boyish face turned pinched. How long until his eyes lost the eager sparkle of a merchant and took on the desperate, hollow gaze of a gambler. He vowed it would not happen to him. He would not become one of those lost souls, the ghosts who haunted the exchange, living from one reckoning day to the next, toiling to secure just enough profit to keep their accounts afloat for one more month, when surely all would be made easy.